Welcome to the Layers of Design podcast, where we uncover the personalities behind the architecture that impacts our communities. I am your host, Ebehi. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you get inspired. First one, I think it is important for us to be intentional because there is a trope that your mental illness is what makes you creative, and that to me is such a lie. You are creative despite your mental illness, and you need to remember that because I feel like a lot of people can allow their mental illness to get worse thinking that it's helping their art, and it's just not true. You're creative despite it. That's number one. Hey, everyone. This is the last episode in the architecture and the community theme. The last few episodes have been all about architects, designers, and why we think we should be seen in communities. I decided to give us a bit of a break in the lineup of design professionals and bring in someone in the creative space, but not necessarily in the design profession, to hear their thoughts. So, in this episode, I have a conversation with Kenzie Rowland. Kenzie is a comedic actress, writer, TEDx speaker, mental health advocate, and host of her podcast, Therapy Would Be Cheaper. Kenzie's dedication to mental illness advocacy has run parallel with every creative endeavor she's taken on. Open with her own diagnosis of OCD, Kenzie seeks to uplift others with mental illness through her own vulnerability, sense of self, and always her sense of humor. So in this episode, we talk about design, architecture, and comedy, but we also really lean into dealing with mental health as creatives. Since the month of May is wrapping up, I am inclined to focus on the importance of mental health in a profession that challenges us daily. I met Kenzie about a year ago at our neighborhood bar studio, where she's an instructor. She is both thoughtful and intentional. Her journey through dealing with mental health as a creative is inspiring. Between Kenzie's podcast and her experience with mental health, just like most of us, she left us with some very insightful tips. Hey, Kenzie. Hello, welcome to the <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here and for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. This is such, a, this is such an honor. <laughs> okay, so um, I know you are a creative, um, but you're not in the design profession, like in the architecture profession. Um, so um, that's why I'm very excited to have this conversation, especially because I am wrapping up the theme of architecture and the community. So I thought it would be pretty interesting to get a perspective from a creative outside of the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we really jump into the, you know, the meat of the episode, I wanted to ask you if you could share with us like some of your passions, the work you do, and what sparked those interests. Yeah, so as you said, I am in the creative field, but I am not in the design or architecture field. Um, I am in film and comedy, um, so I am an actress and I am a writer. Me and my husband are writing partners, um, and we produce pilot shorts, 
proof of concepts. We've uh, we filmed an indie movie years ago. Um, I did live comedy for years, so improv, sketch. Um, I also have two books of poetry, self-published. I'm kind of just a jack-of-all-trades artist is what I like to say. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I kind of dabble in everything. I like anything in the creative field. Nice. So how did you get started? I mean, it sounds, you know, you, you have, you dab, you're dabbling in comedy and acting and, you know, you also write. So what sparked this interest? Mm, that is a wonderful question. I was always really drawn to the arts. That has always made a lot of sense to me. Um, even as a little kid, like, <laughs> I was a very odd child. I uh, I feel like when most little kids are kind of watching Disney Channel or like normal family things, I stay up late and watch like TV Land. So I watched like I Love Lucy, The Carol Burnett Show. Um, I watched a lot of Gilda Radner. I watched kind of all of these greats without knowing they were the greats at the time. They were just kind of people that really sparked my interest. And even as a child, I remember thinking, I want to do what they're doing. What they're doing looks like so much fun. It makes sense to me. And it was a way for me to make sense of the world around me, too. I grew up in South Georgia, and I grew up in a very colorful <laughs> environment and home. And I used comedy and I used art as a way to kind of make sense of everything that was happening around me. So it kind of became like this natural outlet for me to just process all of the things that I was seeing. And watching, like I said, the greats perform really had an impact on me. I was like, if they're doing it, I want to do it. I don't know how, I don't know to what capacity. And so at a young age, that really sparked me and I knew I needed to chase after that. And then it wasn't until I would say my mid 20s that I really decided to, you know, start my life of crime <laughs> and just <laughs> really dive into this all of the way. But art for me, you know, long answer for a short answer, um, art to me has always just been a way to process things happening around me. So that was that was my introduction to it. It's just how my brain works. Wow. So this this is so interesting. Um and I feel like your path, like, I feel like, okay, so growing up as a child, I also, you know, was very intrigued with art, but in the more like, um, I guess, building or creating something out of nothing. So I was very much involved in like bead making and my sister and I will try to sell, you know, these really bad handmade beads <laughs> to my parents' friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I loved collages and things like that. Um, but, you know, I want to ask you, with your interest in art, how come you decided to kind of diversify those interests and not just stick to one? Like, kind of be renaissance in a way, like how I would, I'll do poetry and then I'll do... So, yes. So my favorite way to describe myself, this is... Uh, I don't know, this is how it's always made sense to me, is that I am a heartbroken poet with a very good sense of humor. So, <laughs> um, I love the quote from Carol Burnett, actually. She said that she doesn't think of herself as funny. She actually thinks of herself as a very sad person. Hmm. But comedy is just kind of how things come out. And I have never related to anything more. I really do think that deep down, I'm just processing a lot of things. And there is a lot of heartbreak in humor. And I think that comedy has the power to bring people together, even in the darkest of places. And that is like my soapbox. I really, really wow. believe that. And that's why comedy came out, I think, because 
from very traumatic events if I couldn't laugh at it or if I couldn't find like a silver lining to it. Um, it just didn't make sense to me or it would be almost too much to handle. So the way that it split up was just kind of like these were just different parts of me coming out to play because of something that happened. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. Um, okay, so I'm going to switch gears a little, right? Let's dive into like the design profession. Um, so apart from me, <laughs> in all of the um, other spaces that you've been involved in, even like on set, have you ever come across an architect or an interior designer? Not on indie sets. I have not. I will say I probably came more with that in theater because okay. there were like, you know, stage managers and, you know, stage artists and things like that, that did a lot more work hands on. Mm-hmm. Now on indie sets, we did have an art department, but I wouldn't say it was like an interior designer or an architect. We do have art departments for visuals, but it, it wouldn't have been that label. I see. So when you hear of like an architect, what's your first thought? What comes to mind? An architect? Oh my gosh. <laughs> an artist who can make very large, tangible things. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) I feel like a lot of art is very, like, whimsy and, like, abstract. And, like, architects come in and are like, step aside. (laughs) I have a vision. Here's how it's going to (laughs) go. Okay, so do you think it'll be more, like, do you think it'll be valuable to see or to have more architects kind of being involved in conversations or being, um, you know, more involved in different communities? And I say this because, you know, being, uh, you know, just being in the design profession, architects tend to be very reserved in a way. Um, And that's also partly because of a lot of our workload and a lot of us are introverts. Um, so do you think it'll be valuable to kind of see more architects in different spaces? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think it would. I mean, we need more artists in spaces in general. I mean, but especially in the architecture field, especially in Atlanta. This is mm. this is a little bit of a tangent, but Atlanta has so much potential to be a beautiful city, to have a lot of architecture. And for whatever reason, we keep building blocks. I feel like you guys need to get paid more (laughs) so you can create beautiful spaces to do these things. (laughs) Well, thank you. I feel like we need to get paid more too. But (laughs) Always. Artists always need to get paid more. There's no, there should not be such a thing as the starving artist trope. At all. Exactly. <laughs> so have you ever thought about hiring an architect and what would you hire an architect for? Gosh, I mean, that would be cool to hire an architect. <laughs> I would love, honestly, I've never talked about this before, but it is a little bit of a dream of mine um, to create a theater space one day for kids who want to yeah. get into the arts but don't know how. But I always thought like how, how wonderful would it be to be able to create a, a grandiose theater that's that's open and accessible to people. And that would definitely be something I would reach out to an architect for because I would want it to feel as good or look as good as it could feel, you know? Yeah. Wow. So that's, you've given me very interesting perspectives, especially, you know, coming from a creative. Um, So now I really want us to focus on mental health for a few, you know, for a few reasons. One, we are in the month of May and that is, you know, a time where, people kind of really lean into mental health and just really bring awareness around that subject. And two, you know, we've, um, we've talked about this a bit, 
Um, if you guys didn't, I mean, I, I haven't said this, but Kenzie and I actually met at the bar studio where we both work and she's an awesome instructor. Thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> you should come check her out. Um, but I know that you do have a podcast called Therapy Would Be Cheaper. Correct. And you are the host of the podcast. So can you tell us why you decided to create this podcast? Yeah. So I decided to create Therapy Would Be Cheaper because, again, like I said previously, I believe comedy has the power to bring people together even in the darkest of places. And I think that there is a really unfair stigma surrounding mental health that needs to be broken. It is 2023. <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> and so I created this podcast to be somebody who has a mental health issue mm. talk about it. Because I feel like a lot of podcasts about mental health are either kind of like lab coats talking about it or professionals talking about it. And I really wanted to have a podcast where people who just had shared experiences come on and laugh about how ridiculous these things can be, right? So everybody who comes on my podcast is either in recovery or is in the process of recovery and is in therapy or has been in therapy. So it's also a way to show people that there is hope. There, it, Recovery is possible and here's what it looks like. And it's also kind of funny. <laughs> it doesn't have to be dire all of the time. Um, I think that that is also a very unfair idea people have about mental health is that it's just tragic always mm. tragic and it's always sad and yes mental health is hard and yes it is sad and and the podcast doesn't take away from it i'm not gonna lie to you and tell you that it's rainbows because it's not but it's not what we see in mainstream media which is usually like somebody who can't cope or somebody who you know have falls off the wheel of the world or somebody who becomes the bad guy that's my favorite one i always see <laughs> oh well they're the bad guy because they had something bad happen to them first and it's like that's absolutely not how it works. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. all just out here trying our best. And there's a lot more of us than there aren't of us. And um, that's why I created it. I wanted us all to have a community to come to, to giggle and to feel seen. <laughs> I love that so much. And I love how you're tying your love for um, comedy and bringing so much value into the mental health space. Um, I, for one, I'm a big proponent of mental health um, and of going to therapy. I think everybody should be in therapy, <laughs> but that's just <laughs> <Preach>. me. <laughs> um, so what, from your experience, um, with, you know, with running the show and all of the guests you've had, what have you learned the most? That recovery is not even a real word. And let mm. me explain that. So I have done... A bunch of interviews about this where people will say, you know, okay, well, what is recovery? Like, what, you know, are you in recovery? Are you cured? And it's like, um, no. <laughs> I, the things that I have, so I joke all the time, I'm the proud owner of OCD, PTSD, and anorexia survivor, and a sexual abuse survivor. I am a mixed <laughs> bag of fun, but I'm very fun. <laughs> and I'm never going to not have those things, right? Mm -hmm. I'm never going to wake up one day and not be anxious uh, or not have PTSD or not have these life experiences that happen to me. They will always be there. But what re recovery is to me and to everybody I've talked to on the podcast isn't a cure because I feel like people mm. put recovery and cured together and that's not true. You get to a point where you've heard me say this term a lot probably, but it no longer drives the car. So what I mean by that is that like my anxiety, my trauma, whatever it is, is not steering me through life. I am. 
I've made peace with it. I can hear it. It's my friend sometimes. Sometimes, you know, it's not. Sometimes it's a little mm-hmm. bit louder, but it's okay at the end of the day. And I've learned to handle it and to cope with it and biggest of all, accept it. And in acceptance, you do kind of go into this place of recovery of like, oh, yeah, there goes my anxiety again. Or, oh, yeah, that's that thing again. Or like, you know, whatever, like my demons hanging out with me this afternoon, (laughs) whatever it is. That's what recovery means is that you're always trying like you never let it win. Because I feel like when you go to therapy or when you when you get to a place where you're probably the most at battle with it, it's driving the car. You can't tell the difference between it and yourself. Um, And you don't even know how to try. Mm-hmm. But recovery to me is to just keep trying. And I think that that has been the thing I've learned the most is that everybody feels that way. There's really mm-hmm. no such thing as a cure. And people who are selling you a cure are lying to you. <laughs> you get to a point where it's all right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I completely agree because one thing I learned from therapy, first of all, finding a therapist is, is a whole journey in Ooh, itself. Tell me. Right? We've had lots of episodes about that. <laughs> that is hard. Yes. 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 But I think it is it, it what was very important for me is, you know, to not give up, give up because I knew that there was something I was trying to achieve um and I really did want to see results. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, for my first few sessions I was like skeptical and I was always like, "Ah, oh, you know, what am I really going to get out of this?" But one thing that I learned and it's 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 so amazing that, you know, you touched on this is that once you recognize, cause like now there's certain things that I recognize and I'm like, oh yeah, my anxiety is hanging out with me today. Yep. yep. This, <laughs> this is how it's going to be today. Yep. You know, and then I can, you know, once I know what's going on, I can, I kind of start to think back at, you know, some of the things I've learned from my therapist, some of the conversations I've had that can help me, you know, just get through the day. And it also helps me be much, um, more forgiven of myself, Mm. um, even on very hard days. Um, And I mean, with such a tough profession like architecture from, you know, just taking the exams or going to work daily. And I remember when I was in very toxic work cultures, um, you know, that is something I really leaned onto because you tend to forget yourself and you start to, you know, just make up all of these ideas about who you are. And they're really lies at the end of the day. But really Mm -hmm. just going to therapy has helped me realize that, you know, I need to be more forgiven about myself and I don't have to be, you know, I am not anxiety (laughs) per se, you know, it is just something that happens to me, but I can control it. 100%. That's actually something I learned in um, ERP therapy for OCD. So it's exposure response preventative therapy. And one of the first things you learn is that your OCD is outside of you. So, mm-hmm. like, you can refer to it. Be like, my OCD is scared of this. I'm not. They are. <laughs> and that separation <laughs> barrier is monumental to yeah. recovery. I mean, it's huge. I do want to touch base on one thing you said a second ago, though, about how hard it is to find a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are listening to this and it is you are having a hard time finding a therapist, please don't give up. Um, I gave an entire TEDx talk about this where essentially yes. you have to kiss a bunch of frogs before you find a prince, right? And, and that it's true. It's like dating. Therapy, finding a therapist is like dating. The first therapist you find is more than likely not going to be the one, right? Yep. It might be wonderful, but you'll probably find somebody better, right? I mean, that is just what happens. You need to figure out what you like out of therapy. It's just as much of an interview for them as it is mm-hmm. for you. 
Um, please don't ever give up hope looking for that because it, the the right one really is out there and you, you will be able to find somebody who can help you. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I think I went through like two or three therapists before yep. I finally found yep. <laughs> my therapist. I went through 11. Wow. 11. Wow. Yes, 11. So please don't give up hope. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, you know, I want to now tie this all back into being creatives. Why do you think it's important for creatives to be really intentional about our mental health? So many thoughts just popped into my head. First one. (laughs) First one, I think it is important for us to be intentional because there is a trope that your mental illness is what makes you creative. And that to me is such a lie. You are creative despite your mental illness. And you need to remember that because I feel like a lot of people can allow their mental illness to get worse thinking that it's helping their art. And it's just not true. You're creative despite it. That's number one. Um, number two, I think we need to be intentional about our mental health because everybody needs to. Everybody needs to be intentional about their mental health and what artists are doing for their, I would say, career. And it might not even be career for everybody. People can be creatives without making a monetary gain out of it. But it's what your soul wants to do. It's what your heart wants to do. And what you're doing is the hard heart work. You're being so vulnerable. You're basically getting up on a stage completely naked and being like, here you go, and letting everybody judge it, whether that's through your art, through your architecture, through film, through acting, uh, whatever your medium is, you are really bearing a lot of vulnerability, your soul to it. And you should be on top of your mental health because what you're doing is really tough and beautiful work. And it's super easy to forget that. Um, I know I personally, in my artistic adventures, uh, used to really follow the applause. And I feel like Mm. a lot of people can fall into that trap where you kind of forget that you're making it for you, right? Um, and I think that's another reason to be really aware and to be really on top of your mental health because you're making you, you're making art to feel good, right? You're not making art for other people always, and you're not making art um, to crank out of a machine all the time. So being just being in tune with yourself is going to help your art at the end of the day, and that's what we all want as creatives. Wow, those were such amazing points, Kenzie. Thank you. And- <laughs> You know, especially the idea of following the applause, because immediately what popped to my head was, you know, Instagram, social media, right? (laughs) I feel like a lot of, you know, a lot of us are on there and we're seeking validation from social media, right? And then once you're creative, you're constantly, and I've even, I'm falling into this trap myself and I had to take a step back and take like, a long break from social media until I always like to say now I have a healthier relationship with Instagram Mm -hmm. because, you know, I fell into the trap of once I, you know, once I um, open up my Instagram and I see people like posting, you know, their new concepts, new ideas, new renderings. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so far behind. I should be posting every day, you know, to remain valid and all of that. But all that just caused was anxiety And that also just made me feel bad, right? Mm -hmm. And realistically, because of whatever was going on and all of the priorities that I had in front of me, I couldn't, um, I couldn't realistically create as often as I see people creating. Um, so that is one thing that I really had to take a step back and say, well, why do I even want to create? You know, like, why do I even find the need to be on Instagram? And then I started noticing that I want to create for me, right? Like I want to become a good architect. I want to be a good designer. And whether or not, you know, the world sees it, 
it's still something that I want to accomplish. Um, and I remember one of my friends, we had a girl's trip last month and we were kind of going around the dinner table asking each other, you know, what kind of like our, our dreams and our wishes and our fears, those kind of, you know, that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had said, I want to be a good designer. And my friend asked me, like, what does that mean to you? Um, and then, you know, my response was, it means that I want to be inspired by my own design. Wow. And then that stuck with me because I feel like that's the first time someone had ever really asked me what a good designer meant to me. And that was also the first time, like, I felt like I had really given an honest answer. And ever since then, I just let that stick with me because if I'm not inspired by my design, then I don't feel like I've accomplished, you know, what I want to accomplish. And that's like, if, I mean, if I'm just posting whatever (laughs) and I'm not inspired by it, then, you know, I'm kind of failing myself per se. But, um, but I think it's so important for, you know, us as creatives to really remove that pressure from ourselves and just really like you said, be in tune with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny uh, when you were talking about how you surprised yourself with an answer, (laughs) you know, where you're like, wow, that really stuck with me that I said that. I mean, just talking about therapy or being in tune with your mental health. I mean, the fact that somebody just poked you just a little bit more Mm -hmm. and you were like, oh, that's it. And now you kind of have a goal or you have like a guiding light to go towards now. Like that's, a perfect example of exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it is. You already know the answer most of the time. You just have to tune in. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, Kenzie, this has been an amazing conversation. And I'm so glad, you know, that you were able to jump on. And it's very. it was very interesting hearing about your work and, you know, just hearing about your perspective on the on architects and the architecture profession. Um, but before I let you go, I would like to ask you two questions. One, are there any projects that you'd like us to know about? And two, where can we find you? Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do have a project I'm currently working on. Um, it's called Margo and Wooly. It's not coming out yet, but it is a comedy about mental health. Um And as soon as that is released, you guys will be the first to know about it. You can follow me on Instagram at Kinsey Rowland. I also have a TikTok at Kinsey Rowland. I'm not so great with it anymore because of all the reasons (laughs) we were talking about with social media. Um, And then also Therapy Would Be Cheaper. You can go to our website, therapywouldbecheaper.net. You can go to at therapywouldbecheaper on Instagram. And you can follow us on both of those places and keep in in touch. We're going to be rolling out new stuff soon. Um, And yeah, thank you for asking me that question. Your second question was... Yeah, where we can find you. Oh, I already gave it to you. <laughs> you did. You um, and, <laughs> and, you know, honestly, if y'all have the time, I think I'm also going to link that to um, at the to the show notes. But I think um, just listening to Kenzie's TED talk will be amazing. Um, it was it was so insightful. And honestly, I started crying while I was listening to it. <laughs> that means so much to me. <laughs> Um, so if you want to give that a listen or watch, it's, I think it's very valuable as well. Well, um, Kenzie, thank you so much for your time today. It was great speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Check out the show notes for links to information referenced. I would appreciate it if you could share this episode, subscribe, follow, leave a review, or do all of the above. 
I am also curious to know the guests or topics you'd like me to put on my list. Thank you again.